This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word once again, and we pray that you would speak to us through your spirit, that we may listen and receive what you may have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) Today we are nearing the end of our three-month preaching series entitled Stewarding God's Grace, God's Abundant Grace. We've talked a lot about God's grace and a lot about what it means to be good stewards of all the gifts that he has entrusted to us, including the whole creation, our bodies, our gifts, our community, our finances, our minds and our imaginations, and much more. Well, today, we're focusing on stewarding the gospel And to that end, I'm going to seek to answer two questions. First, what is the gospel? And second, how can we be good stewards of the gospel? First then, what is the gospel? 30 years ago, I was a curate in semi-rural England. Curate, by the way, is church speak for rookie clergy person in training. That was me. And during my time there, my son Jack was born in April of 1994. And the birth of a child is usually good news and and a time for great rejoicing. It certainly was for me and for my wife. Usually, when a family has a new baby, they can't wait to share the good news with someone they know and love, or perhaps with anyone and everyone. Well, in the little village of Cuddington in Buckinghamshire, where I was serving as a curate, the bell ringers of the parish church decided that my son's birth was such good news that they would let the whole village and the surrounding countryside know. So in Jack's honor, they rang the church bells. And not just for a minute or two, they rang what's called a quarter peal, which in is a bell ringing term for change ringing that lasts for about 45 to 50 minutes. It was fabulous. I walked around the church beaming like a Cheshire cat uh, as the bells peeled out from the tower. If the everyday occurrence of the birth of a child to a young couple can be such good news, how much more is the gospel good news. However, if you talk about the gospel today, I suspect that many of the people that you know won't necessarily understand what you're talking about. For many people, the word gospel, well, it's an adjective. It describes a type of music. Or a gospel is, there are four of them, aren't there, in the Bible. Well, even if people know what the word gospel means, good news, how many could tell you what the news is or why it's good? I wonder, can you? Actually, we're going to give it a go in a moment, so brace yourselves. 
Um, in a moment, I'm going to have you turn to the person next to you and tell them what the gospel is. And they're going to then tell you what the gospel is. And before you start, I'll give you a clue. Uh, the gospel has something to do with Jesus. <laughs> now, if you don't know the answer to the question, what is the gospel, no pressure, you can say, well, I actually don't know how to explain that. And that's fine. Hopefully, by the end of this sermon, you, 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 you will. Um, and also, let me just say this before I have you do this exercise. Um, there's not one right answer. There are lots of ways to do this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, um, is a good start. But that's taken, so you can't use that. So each person has 30 seconds to share the gospel with the person sitting next to you starting now. Uh, 30 seconds are up, switch over, the other person tell you. You're very good. It's, you've still got three seconds, but it's quietening down, and that's a wrap. Okay. As I said, there's not just one right way to do that. So much will depend on the context. For me, I think of the good news of Jesus being this. God says, I love you. Repent. Come home. Now, of course, we can unpack that a bit more, even in 30 seconds. God demonstrates his love for us in sending Jesus. He loves us even when we won't give him the time of day. And repent means to turn around. The invitation from God is that we turn from trusting in ourselves to trusting in him. That we acknowledge that we've messed things up and that we need God's love and forgiveness. And I also love that image of coming home. With home being a place of belonging, acceptance, grace, healing, and love. Sadly, for many people, the gospel has morphed into a sort of vague religious idea about Christianity. Which some people think is basically a religion or a system of morality. Most people don't think of the gospel as news as something that has happened and has an impact on the world or on their lives. Worse, some people today would say that the gospel is bad news, which boils down to this. There is a God, and this God is really angry with the world because of how bad humans are. But God, because he's God, has a right and a duty to punish everyone, and this angry uh, God decided uh, arbitrarily to punish someone else instead, an innocent third party, that would be Jesus which was bad for him, but good for you. All you've got to do is believe in Jesus, get saved, and then you get a ticket to heaven. Whoa. 
I mean, it is true that we do believe Jesus died for our sins, but that's part of a bigger story. A story about God the Creator who loves all whom he has made. A story about God who in his passionate love for us sent Jesus to fulfill his long-promised rescue plan. A story of God who does not hate the world and does not inflict arbitrary punishment on an innocent third party, but rather a God who loves the world, enters our world, and himself suffers and dies in our place. But tragically, too often, it's the distorted ideas about God and the half-truths about the gospel that people rail against. At around the so-called so uh, time of the, uh, you know, when the new atheists were, were prevalent, and they came to prominence in England, um, oh, I don't know, probably 15 years ago, a group of them, with support from the British Humanist Society, sponsored an advertising campaign on London buses. And the slogan on the side of the bus declared, there's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. There's something profoundly depressing about that atheist bus slogan. Not least because many of the people walking the streets of London were probably not enjoying life. One person might have been coming from a doctor's appointment where she's just been told she has cancer. Another might have been on his way to visit his wife who has Alzheimer's and won't know who he is. Well, the American Humanist Association, not wishing to be outdone by their British counterparts, launched their own bus campaign in DC with the slogan, why believe in God? Just be good for goodness sake. But where's the inspiration in that? That's just magical Santa Claus thinking. The person who is in the grip of an addiction might long to be good, but is powerless, utterly powerless to break the grip of his or her addiction. What then is the good news? Is it? that help is just around the corner, your cancer will be healed, your addiction cured, and with God, your life will be happy and healthy from this day forward. No, that's not the good news of the gospel. The Bible never promises that. Jesus never promised that. The actual good news of the gospel, in contrast, is placed firmly in reality. Bishop Tom Wright, in his book, Simply Good News, Why the Gospel is News and What Makes It Good, writes this. Jesus was not offering a teaching that could be compared with that of others, though his teaching as it stands is truly remarkable. He was not offering a moral example, though if he wants such a thing, he remains outstanding. He was claiming to do things through which the world would be healed, transformed, rescued, and renewed. He was, in short, announcing good news for Israel and the whole world. The gospel, 
the good news of Jesus is not some religious idea that you might be interested in trying out. It's not a piece of advice to help you lead a better life. It's news that actually changes the way things are, end quote. And in this morning's gospel reading from Luke chapter 4, we see how Jesus himself articulated the good news. And he does so using an ancient prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. And in it, we see that Jesus had not come to set up a new religion, but rather to proclaim that God was concerned about all the people who weren't even in the synagogue that day. God is concerned about the people who are not at Ascension. They're not watching online, and they never will. Including the poor, the oppressed, the blind, the imprisoned. And that is true today. I think sometimes we forget the radical nature of the gospel. It's possible for us to get caught up in a sort of institutional churchianity rather than a radical following after Jesus and a radical love for those outside the church. What Jesus said was being fulfilled in his presence, in him, is still true today. Now, I know it's possible, and some people have kind of misused this text or misunderstood it, and some have read it as a socio-political manifesto, and that way of looking at this text of good news to the poor, etc., um, has undergirded so-called liberation theology, which in effect prescribes the church's primary mission as being to liberate the people of the world from poverty and oppression and social justice by whatever means possible. Well, to that I would say certainly the church should be and is concerned about justice and poverty and hunger. We should be in the business of helping people to have access to clean water, health, education, and safety. Indeed, throughout history, the church has been concerned about these things and often has been at the forefront of protecting the weak and the marginalized. I think of William Wilberforce fighting against slavery in the UK or the numerous mission hospitals and schools established all over the world or of closer to home, the Kairos prison ministries that bring hope to prisoners, or the work of the Anglican Relief and Development Fund through whom we direct much of our emergency um, relief monies that you give to. But the good news of the gospel that Jesus was talking about goes further. Another way that Jesus' words have been misapplied is by those who would super-spiritualize that text from Luke, saying that the good news of God isn't really about physical, the physical poor or, or actual prisoners or outcasts. Rather, it's affirmation that God is on the side of those who are religious and devout and who therefore are necessarily in God's favor. Actually, that's what they thought. That's what the Pharisees thought in the synagogue that day. And when Jesus illustrated precisely why that was not the case, they got mad and they tried to kill him then. Well, whatever else the gospel is, it is good news for the poor. And that includes those who are 
materially poor and those who are spiritually poor. And just as Jesus fed the hungry physically and spiritually, so too are we to do likewise. We are to proclaim release to the captives. And again, this may be physical or release, or, or, or physical or spiritual. We're to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. How many people all around us are blind to the work of God, blind to pervasive sin that ensnares and entangles and spoils our lives. And when we start using these words like sin in the context of, of being unashamed of the gospel and being good stewards of the gospel, let me give you a working definition. Sin is the human propensity to F things up. That's what sin is. It's, I didn't think of that up. Somebody called Spafford did in his book. But anyway, now you have it. I've got another six months, so I had to... Yeah, I, I couldn't really go there, you know. He does in his book. Anyway, <clears throat> the good news of the gospel is that God has come to us in Jesus. He has overcome the curse of death because of the human propensity to mess things up. And he is establishing his rule and his reign, and he is making all things new. This is true. It's true in the hospital room. It's true in the classroom. It's true in the workplace. Jesus is good news. He has come in history. He's with us now by his Holy Spirit, and he will come again. Or as we put it each week in as part of our Eucharistic liturgy, and uh, join with me now, Christ has died. In the midst of all that is broken, there is hope. There is healing. There is forgiveness. There is salvation. This is good news. This is the gospel that we have to proclaim as we go out from here today. But before I finish, I want to consider briefly our second question this morning. I hope now we've got some understanding of what is the gospel. That's the first question. The second question, how can we be stewards of the gospel? What does that mean? In his second letter to Timothy, St. Paul lays out some practical ways that we can be good stewards of the good news. It's as if he's writing to his curate, Timothy. Paul is writing from prison in Rome, and he's like, he likely knew that his work was done, and he was coming to the end of his ministry and his life. In verse 14, Paul writes, Guard the treasure, sorry, guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit. This good treasure is the gospel. And note how he says, which has been entrusted to you. Those are stewardship words. The gospel is not ours to bury in the ground or keep in a private members club. It's the good news of God that has been entrusted to you. It's a treasure, and it's a treasure that is to be shared. Paul tells Timothy that he is not ashamed of the gospel. 
On the contrary, he was a herald of this good news. Or with my opening story in mind, we could say a bell ringer of this good news. And we too are called to be heralds of the good news. St. Paul clearly loves Timothy. And as he thinks about him, he's reminded of his family, specifically the faithfulness of Timothy's mother and grandmother. And that surely is a word of encouragement to every parent, every grandparent, every uncle or aunt. We are to love the children in our lives, pray for them, share the good news with them, and nurture them in the faith. And Paul then urges Timothy to rekindle the gift of God that is within you. Good stewards use their gifts. They fan them into flame. And this gift of which Paul writes, the gift of the gospel itself, is not a private gift. It's a gift for the world. It's a gift to be shared. At the end of the day, being good stewards of the gospel is about how we share the good news. Uh, elsewhere in the, in the scriptures, in 1 Peter 3, we read these words, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. I think it's important to say that our sharing of the good news is not meant to be some formulaic thing. And I know we began with everybody having a go at sharing the good news in 30 seconds. And, and that's a good thing to be ready to do if someone asks you about what you believe. However, let's be real about this. Most people are not going to ask you. And the gospel is not a written manifesto. It's not a religious code. It's not a political platform. And our job is not to bombard people with clever 30-second sound bites or talking points. The good news is Jesus. It is he whom we have to share. In other words, it's personal and it's relational. As we have been trusted by God to be good stewards of the gospel, we need to be trustworthy, trustworthy people for others. I wonder, how are you known? Are you curious and hospitable towards others? Do you listen? Do you listen? Do you listen at all? Do you listen to your friends as to what they have to say? Do you care what they think? What would your neighbors say about you? Our part is to point people to Jesus by our words, through our actions, and as daily we love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. This is not difficult to understand, and yet, it's hard to do. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus. Holy Spirit, please help us today, tomorrow, and every day to be good stewards of your saving love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.